My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Dear friends, I am not writing to you a new command, but an old one, which you have had since the beginning. This old command is the message you have heard. Yet I am writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and in you, because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. Anyone who loves their brother or sister lives in the light, and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. But anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. They do not, and they, sorry, they do not know where they are going because the darkness has blinded them. We are in the third, uh, third week of our vision series. And um, this week we're looking at the part of the vision series that says that we want to be a church community or imagine a church community that nourishes spiritual seekers. So what do we mean by this? Well, in my understanding, a spiritual seeker is a person who says, I'm spiritual, but only loosely, uh, I I, I only loosely identify with a, a religion or maybe not at all. Like I might not even be I might call myself not religious, but I am spiritual. Um, in the um, Australian census, uh, in, back in 2011, so that's two census, uh, uh, two sensi ago, is that plural of tense? <laughs> I don't know. Um, 64% of people ticked some kind of major religion. But the McCrindle Research Organisation, based, I think, in Sydney, um, they dug a bit deeper into that and discovered that about... Um, uh, uh, about one-third of that 64% said that actually, no, they're more spiritual than they are religious. So just because they ticked religion at uh, some kind of a religion didn't mean that they actually went to church or synagogue or anything like that. So spiritual seekers are people who, who want their life in all aspects of it, in a holistic sense, to, to flourish. They, they, they want to um, be phys- physically healthy, emotionally healthy, and they would probably say spiritually healthy as well. Um, and the thing is, though, um, you know, we kind of have a kind of a clue about how to pursue physical health in terms of how you eat and phys- physical exercise and going to the doctor and all those sort of things. And we have a kind of an understanding of how you do that emotionally as well. That, I mean, it's difficult, but, you know, there are things you can do to pursue emotional health. But spiritual health, how do you pursue that if you don't identify with some kind of major religion? Um, well, it's very, very difficult to know how to answer that question. Um, I guess you choose a whole lot of things. You might pick off the shelf, you know. You might choose yoga or meditation, um, mindfulness. Perhaps you do learn from different faith traditions. Maybe it is the way you relate to nature. Um, It's a bit fuzzy. The problem, of course, is that as soon as you disconnect with the structures and the history of a faith tradition... You, you can easily descend into confusion or even what I might 
go as bold as to say as shallowness. The Chicago-based congregational minister, Reverend Lillian Daniel, um, wrote a popular essay in the Huffington Post that went you know, um, viral at the time, and it was called Spiritual But Not Religious, Please Stop Boring Me. That was what the title was called. Which argues that spiritual but not being spiritual but not religious is shallow, and I'd say it's controversial to write, you know, especially in the Huffington Post, because she argued that spirituality on its own fits too easily with individualism, hedonism, and complacency. And so, in an attempt to win back these people to to organise religion. Uh, she makes a case for, um, for it. She says, there's nothing challenging about having deep thoughts all by oneself. What is interesting is doing this work in community, where other people might call you on stuff or, heaven forbid, disagree with you. Where life with God gets rich and provocative is when you dig into a tradition that you did not invent all by yourself. And actually, the Huffington Post did a whole series on this back about five or six years ago on this concept of spiritual but not religious. Um, A Jesuit priest, um, Reverend James Martin, he bemoans the fashionable status of spiritual, um, the concept of spiritual, and uh, the unfashionable nature of religious. Well, he knows full well the reasons people might stay away from organised religion, such that, you know, Charity mentioned this in our interview with her two weeks ago, things like um, hypocrisy and the scandals in the church with abuse and that sort of thing. So he, he, James Martin understands that, why he would stay away. He, he argues that the great problem with being spiritual but not religious is that it assumes that faith is just between you and God, that no other people uh, are relevant There's no one else who can speak into your situation or challenge you if you go off track. He says, religion checks my tendency to think that I am the centre of the universe, that I have all the answers, that I know better than anyone about God and that God speaks most clearly through me. So religious community corrects our naive individualism, he argues, God communicates through the group as well as the individual. One um, Catholic uh, called Isaac Hecker, founder of the Catholic Order, the Paulist Fathers, he said that religion enables one to correct and connect. It's good. So perhaps this is what spiritually, uh, spiritual seekers need, spiritual but not religious people, is that they need religion. Perhaps that's what they need. In our passage for this morning from 1 John 2, John actually makes the case for the Christian faith. Um, and he says that at the heart of the Christian teaching on how spiritual nourishment occurs is um, through faith in Jesus Christ and through obedience to God. He tells us where you find it and how you can tell if a person is truly spiritually nourished. Now, the passage never uses the language of spiritual nourishment. That's a kind of a modern concept that I'm sort of projecting back. But it does use similar imagery from the times that basically mean, I would say, similar kind of thing. If you look at verse 9, he talks about people who claim to be in the light, people who claim to be spiritually enlightened. And this was important because who he's writing to, we just could have a bit of context as a group 
well, he's writing to a church, but there are a group within the church which we, you, that were known as the cessationists, or at least theologians call them that. And they were a group that um, were basically saying that you, 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 could, you could know God without actually having faith in Jesus Christ and that Jesus wasn't really the Son of God. And that they, they claimed to know God despite not believing in those things. And they wanted to influence the church this way. It was a kind of a form of Gnosticism. And so they claim to be spiritually enlightened. But John is telling them, actually, you're not. So anyway, here he makes the case for how you actually do pursue um, this sense of knowing God, being enlightened, or being in him. So first of all, he says, um, and I'll use a modern, con- modern phrase, spiritual nourishment comes through Jesus Christ. And this is the first major point that John makes True spiritual nourishment comes through faith in Jesus Christ. Now, it's not a, um, it's not a surprising start to a talk like this in a church, is it? Let's, let's look at how he begins a passage. Anthea read it out before the confession. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Now, John is about to talk generally about knowing God. He talks about God and knowing God and obedience to God. But he starts by making a claim that if you want to be in fellowship with God, um, and you might, sort of, I think he's assuming there will be people who have stuffed up in the church, who have kind of walked off the path. And he's saying, Let's not forget that if you have sinned, maybe you've even denied that Jesus is the Son of God. Maybe you've even done that. And you want to come back. If you've done that, if you've fallen away from faith, don't, don't, don't fear. If you want to come back, you have, we have Jesus Christ who has died on the cross for us, who has atoned for not only your sins but the sins of the world, and he's your advocate before God. God will welcome you back if you've, if you've messed up. Or you could flip it around. Without Jesus Christ, we have no advocate with God the Father. Without Jesus Christ, we have no atoning sacrifice for our sin. So when John says, he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world, by atoning he's saying, Jesus has made us right with God. He has provided forgiveness of sins. We are back in a good relationship with God because of what Jesus has done. And I think being right with God is actually what a spiritual seeker is searching for. I think that they might not know it, but I think deep down subconscious, in in their subconscious or maybe in their kind of inner being, they just want to connect with God and be right with him. If you're here this morning and you're listening to this talk and you might describe yourself as spiritual but not religious and be offended already of what I've said because I've suggested that it might be a bit shallow, I want you to think about it. God is not some vague idea that you see in the sunset. God is not just good vibes. If God is real, surely you realise he must have standards 
for justice and righteousness and holiness. And what John is saying is good news that Jesus is our advocate and he's our atoning sacrifice. So he's going to bring you in right standing with God, no matter the mistakes you've made in your life. Now, John is not saying that um, by saying, by putting Jesus at the front and center of his argument, he's not saying, or I'm not saying at least, I don't want you to hear me saying that spiritual nourishment cannot come through spiritual activities like meditation or contemplation or prayer. Think, you know, I'm saying activities that are traditionally thought of as spiritually nourishing. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that, say, singing in a choir, which I find, I find when we go along to choir practice, um, even though I'm the piano player, I get to experience the vibes of the singing, that that's a spiritually nourishing experience. And I'm not saying that that's a bad thing to do or that that isn't spiritually nourishing or walking through the bush or even standing at the top of a mountain, looking at the sun setting. I'm just saying that John's saying that those kind of activities are only truly spiritually nourishing if they are founded on Jesus Christ, if he's at the centre or whatever you're doing. You can get good spiritual vibes of a sort from doing other things apart from Christ, but it's not true nourishment. It's not eternal. It's not real. It's just temporary. So if you're a spiritual seeker, I invite you to put your faith in Jesus Christ. He will make you right with God. He will be your advocate and he will change you from the inside out, which is what we're looking for, isn't it? Secondly, in the passage, John says that obedience to God, it nourishes because it is about living in a way that is pleasing to God. Now, you wouldn't think spiritual nourishment comes from obedience. What? Look at verse 3. We know that we have come to know him if we know him is the kind of substitute for spiritually nourished. Know him, if you know, truly connecting with God, if we keep his commands. For example, whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar. And the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. And this is how we know we are in him, that is in God. Whoever claims to live in God must live as Jesus did. So we know that we have come to know God and connect with him truly, the eternal, transcendent one that we've been searching for, if we're obedient to him. And if you're a person who struggles with assurance, in other words, you aren't sure if God loves you or that you're really a Christian, are you trying to in any way be obedient to God? Is that what you're doing? If you are, then that is a sign that you are in him. If you're making any kind of attempt, you might be making a poor attempt and, and you know, flopping about on the beach like a fish that's almost half dead, but you're trying you know, to be a Christian, then that's a sign that you are a Christian. Knowing God is not the same as simply knowing facts about God, information, no, to know God is to know him personally for yourself and obedience is evidence of that and also a way that you will find spiritual nourishment. You know, to know him, uh, you know, John uses a few different phrases. He says fellowship with him in, a, in the previous chapter, which if you've got your Bible, you can look at chapter 1, verse 4, or walking in his light, 
verse 7 of chapter 1. In our passage, it says, we know him, we know we are in him. If we, if we live, uh, whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. So living as Jesus did is John's greatest concern here. How can you claim to truly know God, says John, if you don't, if you don't even do what he says? You're lying. Now, he's being strong here. He's being hard in his language, and that's because of the cessationists who are claiming to know God but actually don't even want to obey him. So he's just kind of saying it as it is so everyone's clear. So if you're a person who has been hanging on to the Christian identity your whole life but you don't feel any sense of spiritual nourishment, you don't think you really know God or that God knows you, and you come to church and you feel like a dried up, you know, piece of fruit that's just got mould on the edge of it, then it could be because you're not even wanting to be obedient to God at all. And so what might need to happen is that you need to hand over your autonomy to God. You need to stop saying, my life is my own and I'm in control and I'm going to do what I want, and I'll come along to church because I was brought up as a Christian, or I, I have that Christian identity, or I'm loosely connected, and I'm, you know, you've just got to hand all that over and say, my life is no longer my own. My life belongs to God. This is exactly even what Jesus did in the Garden of Gethsemane. He struggled over whether or not he could go to the cross and die for the sins of the world, and he says, not my will but yours. He says to his Father in heaven, John is saying, surrender yourself to God like Jesus did. Do what he did. Imitate him. If you don't surrender yourself, if you never give up control, you won't discover spiritual nourishment. You won't know what it means to be in God and you won't know what it means to walk in the light. Thirdly, John says, spiritually nourished people, you'll be able to tell if they're spiritually nourished, if they're in God, if they're walking in the light if they have fellowship with God, because they will love each other. You can really tell real love, real sacrificial love, not just a vibe or a a platitude that you might say, yeah, I'm I'm a loving person, but real love that encourages people rather than tears people down, real love that makes the effort to go and see someone when they're sick, real love that puts the other person before you, you know, puts another person before your own, before yourself, that kind of love is evidence that you are with God and that you are truly spiritually enlightened or nourished. And this is not a new idea, says John in verse 7. He kind of says an interesting back to front. It's not a new idea. Well, it kind of is a new idea, but it's not really a new idea, but it kind of is a new idea, he sort of says. Um, He's talking about the great commandment, of course. Um, they've got it in a few different kind of places. Uh, the Matthew 22, verse 37 to 40 says, Jesus says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. And then in John Chapter 13, verse 34, Jesus says, A new commandment I give you to love one another as I have loved you. 
So it's kind of a new commandment, but it's not really a new commandment to love people. I mean, all through the whole Bible, and Jesus knows that. It's just new in the sense that he's sort of saying, you've been looking at the Ten Commandments all the time, but I'm just going to give you a new one. Just love each other, please. That's the main thing. If you don't do that, you are still in the darkness, says John in verse 9. So he set up this contrast. I'll give you the contrast one more time. If you hate your brother and sister, he's not talking about your family, he's talking about your spiritual family, so your brother and sister in Christ at church. If you hate your brother and sister, if you're always bitching about them, if you're always complaining, if you're gossiping about them, or if you're fully having a punch-up, you are in the darkness. You are lost in your sin, and you don't have any clue about God. You are not in fellowship with him. You are spiritually dead. On the other hand, here's the contrast. If you love your brother and sister, and he doesn't mean platitudes, he means sacrificial love. If you really do put yourself out there for other people, you are in the light. It's evidence. Not because of your love you're in the light. It's just that because of being in the light, you now love other people. You are following in Jesus' way. You are obedient to God. I can tell you really are a disciple. You demonstrate a good grasp of God and his ways. You are spiritually alive. God has created us to love other people. Being a person of love is living as God created you to be. When we live as God wants us to live, then we experience that thing we're longing for when we call ourselves spiritual seekers, which is spiritual nourishment. We are living in the light and therefore able to see God more clearly. So if we want to be a church that nourishes spiritual seekers, there's three things we've got to do. First, we must keep Jesus at the centre of everything that we do, of all the activities that we do to seek to bring spiritual nourishment to people. So um, yesterday we had um, uh, the, uh, the, art, the women's art group, and, you know, like I'm sure they're not there, you know, doing a Bible study while painting, you know. That's not what I'm talking about. But at the heart of that... Um, um, you know, Annie and, and, and the other people from church involved as well as people not from church. There's Jesus is what motivates that. And we're going to hear from Annie being interviewed next week. You know, or when we sing, you know, uh, in the choir, you know, that's okay. But, you know, there's the, the thing that motivated that in the first place was a desire to reach out to the community, which came from a desire for love for people. Um, and um, what I wouldn't ever want to see is those kind of activities which we think of as spiritually nourishing for our community, that we'd pull Jesus out of them. Uh, that would be a bad mistake. And of course, in the main thing, the, mo- you know, the most important things we do in our lives as individuals, that we keep Jesus at the centre, the decisions that we make, our family life, our work, our moral decisions, how we use our finances. Secondly, um, if for our church to nourish spiritual seekers, we must encourage each other towards obedience to God, spur each other on. And this, is, this should not be underestimated. You might think the best way to have a spiritually nourishing church is to have the most incense or the coolest candles or the best songs, a really amazing worship band or whatever. That's not it. Obedience is the way. This is what brings people into the light. Thirdly, We must live out Christ's new commandment to love each other. And this is a radical love, a love that goes beyond feeling or polite conversation. It's love that is costly and other person-centred. 
Now, you might be listening to me and going, I still have no idea, or I have an understanding of what I'm saying, but what the passage is saying, but you don't believe it. Well, I would like to invite Jerome Cole up the front. So give Jerome a big clap.